It's about that time. Welcome to another episode of Movies Last Night. Thank you for tuning in. This is a Movie of the Week podcast. Expect some deep dives, top tens, fun conversations, and recommendations. If this floats your boat, don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcatcher of choice. Once again, thank you for your time. Now relax, unwind, and join your favorite new friends for another fun episode of Movies Last Night. Today I'm joined once again by Jason Sledge and we're going to be talking about, well, what are we going to be talking about, Jason? I'm going to let you introduce it because there's a slight change of plans from last time. I know if you listen to our last episode, or at least the last episode Jason and I did together, which was uh, our discussion on Alex Garland's men, we mentioned that we were going to um, be kind of stepping it up with our page to picture. Uh, I guess it's like a... Not a side project. It's, it's just like, I don't know. A side series, yeah. A side series, side series. Um, and we announced that we were going to be doing the Maze Runner, but there's been a little bit of a change of plans. So I'm going to throw it to you, Jason, while I set up here a little bit, and you can uh, say what we're going to be doing today and I guess why we decided to change our plans. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, so we were talking about men, and uh, one of Alex Garland's previous films was Annihilation, which uh, we kept bringing up as a really good example of his work, which was apparently really awesome. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go, I'll, I'll go and watch the movie. I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. So I watched it and it was freaking awesome. And then at the end of the movie, I saw it was based on a book. And so I got really excited and immediately texted Scott. and was like, by the way, um, 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 we haven't done an episode on Annihilation and there's a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maze runner kind of got pushed to the side um and here we are yeah um I, in a way i'm kind of pleased i mean we will get around to doing maze runner i mean i've already invested hours of my life into that bloody book so uh, we that. will do it <laughs> <laughs> um but when when you uh, when you text me, I think it was like uh, it was pretty early in the morning. I think you must uh, yeah, have just finished like, the, the movie. Yeah, it was like three thirty in the morning, something like that. Yeah, it, that sounds about right. And uh, you seemed super psyched, and I was like, I was actually really glad because I um, I was really well. Yeah, I was just happy that you saw Annihilation because I, I thought you'd really really like it. Um, but then when when we talked about it, like. I'm not going to lie, part of me is very excited that we just uh, skipped Maze Runner for now and went straight to Annihilation. But that did mean that I had to read the book in a hurry because I know like we had already penciled this time into record. So I was like, okay, not only do I have to read the book quick, I've got to rewatch the movie. Um, I haven't seen the movie, pr- honestly, since I think its initial release. Um, so I haven't seen it in, you know, what's that, like four or five years now? Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. So... Um, I had to do both of those, but honestly, uh, a, a breeze doing both. I mean, obviously, the, like as we get into it, the movie's phenomenal, but the book is, it, it, it was a huge surprise to me in terms of how much I enjoyed it. And, and it's a really, really short read. Uh, well, technically, I audio booked it, but it was about six hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, so very doable given the time constraints that we had. Jason, did you do a little bit of research onto uh, into the author of this, this book? Because I... 
obviously I haven't read, I was aware of the book trilogy. Um, I was aware of the Southern Reach trilogy and that was only just myself doing research into the movie when it came out. So I was like, oh, what, what's this from? You know what I mean? Like checking stuff out like that. But um, were you even aware of this author's previous work? So any, anything to do with it? I have definitely heard the name before. Uh, that was one of the things that actually caught my eye whenever at the end of the movie that it said it was based on the book by Jeff Vandermeer. I was like, I know that name. I haven't really read too much of his uh, other works, uh, but one of my other book buddies, um, Jacob, uh, was talking to me about some of his, his stuff probably like a year or so ago, and I just never got into it. Um, or really never gave myself the opportunity to get into it, I should say. Uh, but apparently he's known for writing extremely weird fantasy or science fiction. Just strange fiction, very bizarre stuff. And if it's anything like um, Annihilation, then I'm going to love the rest of it. Oh, I'm sure. I, I, I'm pretty confident, I think, um, j- just reading up on uh, Vandermeer, I'm pretty confident and like I've read some plot descriptions or like synopsises of his other work uh, just to give myself an idea of what it's like and um, I'm pretty much sure that you're good if I I like this I think I'm going to like all of his books um, just because I think his style is very specific um, which I and I like you Jason I'm just digging on his style like a lot I'm super into it Um, so a little bit of information so the, the the author like Jason said is Jeff Van Der Meer the book Annihilation. So we're just going to talk about Annihilation. It's part of uh, a trilogy called the Southern Reach Trilogy. Uh, Southern Reach is alluded to in the book as an organization. It's like a government organization, um, which we'll get into as we start talking about the, the plot of the, the book a little bit further on. Um, so Annihilation is the first book of that trilogy. Um, it came out in 2014. Now, Paramount Pictures actually optioned the rights to the movie in 2013. So before the book actually really like hit the shelves it was already optioned for a movie which isn't that great of a thing because i guess that actually happens quite a lot like uh movie houses buy up like specs i guess like spec scripts or something they must buy up like properties or like it's almost i guess like the hedging the bets you know what i mean yeah it, it depends on the author and then it also depends on the series that the author is working on or if, if they can tell that it's going to be in the same genre as other well, uh, well-performing works. Um, yeah, like, for sure. Like Brandon Sanderson is going through this, uh, process, uh, right now he's trying to get, uh, uh, he really wants to get his Stormlight Archive books, uh, working as far as like a TV deal or something. But if you, uh, search Brandon Sanderson, his most popular work has always been his Mistborn series. And so, of course, they bought up Mistborn super fast, but I don't think anybody's picked up his Stormlight Archive yet. So, a little side Yeah, note. that makes sense. And I get, no, no, I guess like how it works is just because your book's been optioned to, a lot of times they'll just sit on it um, in a way so they have like first rights or first dibs on it. So, a lot of times it'll just sit and not get used at all. Um, Which is kind of crappy. Isn't that, that seems a little bit unfair to me. It's like, if you're not going to use it, just let other people, or like free it up so somebody could potentially do something with it. You know what I mean? But I should imagine around the time that like Harry Potter was very popular, um, they were probably just trolling through authors who had similar type of work. You know what I mean? Go- going crazy. I guess like the Golden Compass, um, you know what I mean? They were probably just like, 
anything that seemed to be like this could be the next big trilogy this could be the next big franchise hunger just games throw money at it yeah. hunger games yeah totally and then like round twilight too so um and then there was that like divergent series the maze runner which we were going to speak yeah. about too i should imagine that was snapped up pretty fast so interesting yeah so um now i'm not gonna like this is jason's field i'm not even gonna like get into i like i this was not on my radar i've not read any of his books um it was it's unlikely that i would have read the book unless jason you know what i mean was so um i would because Jason was so into it that I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. So it's not like something I was aware of. Or um, I knew when the around the time the movie came out that the the book series was in very high regard at that point. Like I, you know what I mean? It came up in a lot of movie reviews. People saying, oh, like I'm a big fan of the books. So like I knew that the books were just like it was very very well regarded. So like I guess there was a little bit of pressure on Garland to do this. But what's interesting though is there was only one book when he did the movie. There's, there was no, like, he, he wasn't coming into a trilogy. And as it transpires later on, he had no intention of making a trilogy. He just wanted to make one film. And he, he based the film off, like, the spec, like, book, rather than the actual finished uh, published novel. So he, yeah, he uh, was going that way. He, 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 from what I saw, I did look into that a little bit. Uh, he read the book, at least in its state that it was, uh, he he read the book once and then refused to read it again. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and the entire point of that was he wanted to make his own rendition of the story, but he wanted it to feel like more of like a dream of the book rather than a movie yeah. adaptation of the book, which is a really good way of describing it because they're two completely different stories. They just happen to have a lot of the same elements. Yeah, totally. And, and when I was researching a little bit there, I've heard it described, and, and I think Vandermeer himself described it as this, is he he sees that, and a, a good way of looking at the movie adaptation is that it's like, when we get into it, there was multiple trips into this Area X. There was mon- multiple expeditions. So in a way, a lot of people I suggest that you just look at this as a different expedition, like it was a different one. That's a good way a pre- to look at it, actually, you know I mean? yeah. Which I really like that idea too, because um, I like how within the parameters of that, like the expeditions could be so wildly different, you know what I mean? Or could be similar. It's just kind of cool, you know what I mean? That's a good way to look at it, I think. Um, so the the book itself, the, the trilogy um, is split into three parts, Annihilation, Authority, and Acceptance. Um, I should imagine at some point, I'm probably going to read the other books. Um, I'm in the I'm middle sure of the second one at the moment. Well, yeah. there you go. Okay, awesome. So we'll probably get to that. Um, but like I said, this a one and done uh, film adaptation. Other than that, um, let's have a look. I'm going to see if I can bring up some... Okay, so Jeff Vandermeer himself was born on July 7th in 1968. He's an American author. He's also a literary critic and an editor. So... um, like Jason mentioned before, he was initially so associated with a thing called the New Weird Literary Genre, um, the Southern Reach Trilogy being his big breakthrough. And then from then, he's, he's went on to re- read other books that were doing very well and get, get he's been on the New York Times bestseller list, you know, post-Annihilation being released. Um, now, um, let's have a look. This might mean something to you, Jason. It does not mean anything to me. Um, his works have been compared to uh, George Louis... Borges, Franz Kafka, and Henry David Thoreau. Um, that might mean something to somebody listening. It doesn't to me. Um, let's have a look. Uh, early life and education. So he's, he's from Pennsylvania. Um, 
and what's interesting about this um, book is he said that um, he was inspired after going on a walk through a national park. He actually went on like a like a, um, a hike and uh, he was just noticing like the wildlife and the different species of wildlife that he observed. And that was kind of like this genesis of an idea for him. And then he also said he had some pretty strange dreams. So you drew a lot of stuff from the things that occurred to him in dreams, which makes perfect sense when you read the book. Um, and like, Dude. I think that's a huge theme of the book, or at least the the whole nature aspect of it, Jason, is like, it's huge. Yeah, no, I, I love when writers use ideas from dreams. Uh, I've done it myself for a few of my uh, my short stories that I've uh, that I've released. Um, I, I I get really good nightmares, and so I, uh, if I have a really good nightmare, I'll write it down. Um, but that's Ava- a good idea. Avatar was the same way. Uh, James Cameron had a dream about the whole experience, and then it evolved into the movie after that. So. I'm, I'm, the mind comes up with really cool stuff when you're asleep. You mean James Cameron had a dream after you watched Dances with Wolves and then wrote or, the same story? Or, or, or Pocahontas or, yeah. I, I'm, I'm Gully. <laughs> dude, I'm not going to be trying to, you know, defend Avatar as being a super original story. It's not, but it's done know, insanely I'm, well. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> you just know that's one of my favorite stories. I know I do. I do. Uh, well, who do you think is going to be going to watch it with you when the sequel comes out? It's going uh-huh. to be me. Yep. And it's probably just going to be you and I do the podcast too. So I would assume so. I assume so. Yeah. Um, okay. So I that's about all I have in terms of Vandermeer himself. Um, I didn't, because this is a, we were on a short time frame for this. I didn't do too much research into him. I also kind of think it's kind of not really that necessary that we, we, we know too much about him because it's really about how the book affected us and how effective we think the book was now we're in a situation jason where we are we're doing what i usually do which is i'm reading the book after i've seen the movie um not vice versa i think next time we do an episode we should do a movie neither of us have seen but do the book before we do the movie i'm be fine with that yeah, I want to see if we can like alternate these to try and approach them at different angles because I do feel that like as um, interesting and visual as the book is, I'm still hampered with the fact that I have a visual of the movie when I translate it to the book, which I think is an issue for me. So I'm kind of interested to break that and then do it the opposite way around. Yeah, you know the, I mean? the only issue with that is I've read a lot of books and you've watched a lot of movies. <laughs> so there's going to have to be a fine line in the middle somewhere. Yeah, but that's why I think it's cool if we like alternate, mm-hmm. you know, because I think it's a good, it's a good way to like mix it up and like, and, and try to like reorient ourselves or orientate ourselves towards the, how we're approaching it. I mm-hmm. think it's a good way to do it. But what, we're just figuring this little um, side project out as we go, really. We don't really have too much plans. And another really good way that we could get books or movies to, uh, to do this on would be if our listeners would provide some suggestions. So, That's a great idea, yeah. So if anybody has a book slash movie combination that they would really like us to see and do a podcast on, uh, please uh, leave a voicemail, let us know. Yeah, love that. Love that. Great idea. Okay, then. So I suppose let's give, uh, in the in the briefest plot synopsis I can give for the book, the book um, is pretty straightforward. It's um, split into five chapters, I believe. It's, I think it's five chapters. Um 
Now, here's the premise. And the premise is um, similar for the movie, but we're just talking about the book right now. The premise of the book is, is that there's an area called Area X. Now, to my knowledge, Jason, there's not too much backstory given to this, other than the fact that everybody's aware of this area, and now it's being affected by some sort of an anomaly. Now, the area, I take it, is in the United States of America. I think it says that in the book, um, but we know it's in, in America. So what's happened is there's an area that's being affected by some kind of, like, um, I guess... Anomaly is probably the best way I can use to describe it, but it started in a small area on a coastal town, specifically around a lighthouse. And then over time, it started to spread. So the anomaly is growing like a sphere almost, which means it's growing out into the land and it is also growing out into um, the connected ocean because it's on the coast. So imagine it like a, almost like a cancer growing and it's spreading. So over time, the, um, this area, organization called the Southern Reach uh, organization, which is like some kind of a shadowy government. Um, again, not a lot of information given about this agency either. Uh, they've sent in expeditions over time, one after the other, in order to track and take notes, document, see what's going on, and then to come back and see if they can get a better understanding of what's happening in this environment. Um, now, over time, people have came back. People have made it out of the... Uh, the sphere but what happens is usually when people do come back there's a lot of people never return but when people do come back they are um seem to be affected by some kind of a late stage cancer where they don't basically last very long yeah uh that was more in the movie than it was in the book it's in the book it's in the book too it's that that's the the main distinction is that in the well yeah the movie yeah in the movie well, I'll not, I'll not talk about the movie. Yeah, no, but no. yeah, so no, that's right. Yeah, it is. Um, so, but we, from, uh, from what I, from what I, uh, what I got out of it is that they come out and they're. It's almost like they've been lobotomized. Like they, yes, they're they not themselves. Don't, they don't have any passions or cares or anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine it, it almost described in a way as like. Um, they're like you're like a, a shell of your former self when you come back through. Um, you forget a lot of important dates, a lot of information, a lot of things about your past. And unfortunately, yeah, like this this kind of accelerated cancer kicks in where their bodies start to break down and they don't last. So nobody really lasts. Now, we're introduced to the to our main protagonist, um, who is a biologist. Now, she her husband had previously been one of these people who's made an expedition in. He came out and unfortunately he didn't last. He actually showed up at her kitchen one night drinking milk from the refrigerator. And when when she talked to him, he just wasn't the same guy. Um, unfortunately, he passed. So she became intrigued by the notion of what's going on. So she volunteered to go forth into the, one of the, the later rounds. And this time she went in as part of an all-female expedition. Um, now, over the time these expeditions that go in, they've had different types of expeditions. They've had expeditions where it's been soldiers going in. Then you've had um, different professionals like law law officers and all walks of life in the hopes that maybe one of these different kind of interactions could unlock some information. When uh, our main protagonist goes into the to the to the circle the area x as it's called the group consists of a biologist an anthropologist a psychologist and a severe 
Okay. <laughs> so at one point, there was a linguist in this team, I guess, but the, the linguist doesn't actually enter into the Area X. I don't... I'm a little vague on the, the details of that because uh, I kind of read it all in one go. Uh, she got cold feet right at the end, basically, was what she it was. She got cold feet, is that why? Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Because as it turns out later on, they feel like they could use a linguist. Unfortunately, they don't have one. So it's an all-female um, team that goes in. And what follows is um, we never introduce, we never get anybody's names. We don't get the characters' names. Everybody's known in the book by their profession. Uh, by their specialty and what happens is when we go inside with the characters it's basically written in the form of a journal the whole book um the characters uh or the the scientists rather everybody not just them everybody that's ever went into area x is being taught and trained to keep journals like constant paper journals uh very straightforward the waterproof journals and like they're also told not to share anything that they write in those journals with anybody else but the, the plan is, is that if anybody makes it out alive, they can bring the journal back. If anybody doesn't make it out alive, the next team can go in and retrieve journals and bring journals back. So they have this constant flow of information going on between. Uh, and now what's, that's pretty much, without going into too much details into the plot, or like spoilers, that's kind of like the setup. You know about as much as anybody else knows going into this. The only thing that's already set in stone is is that the government's aware of this, the public are aware of this situation, and this isn't the first expedition. I think this is the 12th expedition, is that right? That's what they tell you. Yeah, the 12th expedition. Yeah, that's what they tell you. That not, not might not necessarily be true um, in the scheme of things. So suffice to say, um, all bets are off, and everything kind of goes a little bit nuts, um, when everybody goes inside and the situation breaks down pretty dramatically. Um, it's a short book. I would say it was about six hours long on an audio book that I listened to it. And um, that's pretty much it without getting it. Does that sound fair, Jason? No that's, spoilers there? Yep, that sounds about right. Okay. So I'm interested to hear what you've got to say first. So especially as somebody who's super into science fiction, um, science fiction novels, what did you take away from it? Um what what did you like? What did you not like? I'm guessing you pretty much liked all of it. Um, but uh, yeah, what's your take? Um, yeah, no, of course I I really liked it. It was it it just held your attention the entire time because it it was just there was something that always seemed a little bit off about everything, which was you know up very apparent. You know, the main character knows that there's something off, uh, and so she's trying to figure it out. Uh, there's this uh, topographical anomaly uh, that is kind of close to their... Uh, well, we'll get into that later. Um, <laughs> it's tricky, isn't it? I know. I'm like, wait, don't spoil anything. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I guess the pacing is, is a very strong uh, strong point of this book. Uh, it is very short, but it is very compact. Uh, there's I agree. A, there's a lot of information that's... Uh, packed into this and it, it doesn't really slow down all that much it just it keeps going and going and going I think part of that is because it's presented in like this journal form that yep. you don't get the scenes where it's her you know sitting in front of a campfire and thinking about things there, there's not too much of that going on it's just action 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 okay they're going to sleep Okay, they woke up. Action, action, action. You know, and the, and the whole book, Janet, goes in that vein. So, 
yeah, very good pacing. I I wanted to um, mention what you said there before the pacing, and I think you're right. I think it's 100% to do with the fact that it's written in that journal form that we are not, I'm not saying wasting time, but we don't have, there's no slowdown. There's very little dialogue between characters. We're really just, it's, yeah, it's one woman's description. Yeah. Yeah. So when she recants uh, conversations that's had between the characters, it's very streamlined and it's very to the point and it's kind of like, I'm I'm gonna write down. I don't love. It's almost as if like I don't have a lot of space or time to write this down. So when I write it down, I'm giving you the highlights. This is the the major information that you need to know. You know, exactly. And um, I did want to shout out one thing too on the audiobook that we listened to. I got it through Audible. I think you did the same. Um, Jason, can you remember off the top top of your head who did the um the voice reading? Oh no, I can't. Um. Uh... It's like I want to say her name was Carolyn, Kathleen, something like that. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to bring it up now, but every time I try to do it on my iPad, it's playing the bloody book, and I'm like, no, just <laughs> I don't I don't need to play it. Just give me the book, give me the information. Um, I'm gonna Google it as we talk. Um, yeah, so very positive, Jason. Yeah. Yeah. No, the narrator. Uh, she did a really good job. Uh. It, it it also helps that she was just from the perspective of one character. So she didn't have to do very too much as far as, I guess you could say, voice acting. It was more of just a good cadence. Carolyn McCormick. I was close. Who, right. Great job by her. And what I meant in terms of the Maze Runner is I struggled a lot with uh, the guy who, like when he was doing people's voices in... um. There's none of that in in this at all. It's very much like she did. She wasn't really doing too much affecting of her voice to change. Was that Maze Runner that you had that issue? I thought it was with a uh, girl with a dragon tattoo. I've honestly I've had it with all of them. Oh, with all so of them. far. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, Maze Runner was very egregious though. I uh, specifically when he does like the Scottish accent and what have you, it's a little bit like oh, and when he does the female accent, like female voice in that, whew, really bad. Um, but. You didn't really get a lot in that. It was just, you know, like, I like the way this was delivered a lot. It was very much my style. You know what I mean? Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, some uh, some some narrators uh, do things better than others. I guess for me, since I've, I've been doing audiobooks for uh, five or six years now, so I'm, like, I'm beyond that. It doesn't phase me. It, yeah, for sure, you're used to it. And I, I'll get used to it over time, I'm sure. This is aside from what I think of the actual book. One thing I actually noticed on this too is the compression on this. Um, now I listen to my headphones a lot and like my headphones are like noise cancelling. So they do, they do a good job of like picking up, um, you know, like it, the audio, it doesn't get very like muffled, but I noticed the compression on this recording a lot because it's obviously been like shrunk within an inch of its life to get it down to a small file size. And on this one, you can really tell like it's um the, i would say the audio quality is not the best i would like to hear this in an uncompressed like high res version if it was possible yeah you just don't want to download that high well that's uh, the thing i know it's a trade off and, and i'm not saying like i know it's a trade off but i've noticed that we've had longer books that sounded better than this yeah it 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 just depends on you know it, it, different books are they could be using you different know, formats to shrink it too. Yeah, different people make it, different people mix it. You know, it, yeah, it's, yeah, different. 
there's different ways to do things in audio in the audio world. There's you can do it starting at one end and then go to the next, or you can start at the opposite end and go backwards. You know, and look so how professional you, we are, Jason. I mean, we're like top tier, so obviously we're going to judge because we're yeah, because we know everything. Yeah, we're the cream of the crop, audio quality wise, on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe it's not the case. Um, okay, so did I like it? I I really enjoyed it. I really really enjoyed it. Um, because obviously having come from Garland's movie adaptation of it, it became very apparent to me early on that they were almost not similar at all. The premise is similar, and I think that's about it. There's a few over overlapping themes, which we'll talk talk about when we talk about the movie. Um, but other than that, it, it's it's apparent early on that the, the book's doing its own thing, and I really, really like that, and I really, really like what it's doing. Um, I, lo- I love the way it's written. I love how it's very economical in terms of like its... Um, it's prose and it's description and, and like uh, the dialogue, everything is just like, it just flows very, very well. And, and, and it's staggered in a way that keeps you going. And another thing I really, I really like about this first book too, is it more or less doesn't really answer anything along the way, No, which not at all. I love too, because it, I feel like it's, it, it's a, this book is a vibe as much of it, as much as it's anything else. You know what I mean? It's about like, imagining yourself in this situation and imagining what this world looks like and like it kind of puts you in a space and I feel like it's more about the exploration than it is about the fact that we have to wrap this story up this story needs a clear defined antagonist we need like threats and every it doesn't really do any of that really no this this book was it was just an experience yeah that's a really good way to describe it um so yeah i loved it i think it's um highly worth uh your time i think it's definitely worth doing if you've seen the movie i think if you haven't seen the movie or read the book i would probably do the book first before doing the movie because i think that would be an, an interesting way but it doesn't really matter honestly it, it, it doesn't it matter doesn't. which way you do no it because no. this is um i i really like it when movie adaptations do this if they do it right then it's awesome. The Born Identity is another example of 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 this because, yeah, the the books and versus the movie they're completely different stories. They have like the same like hitting points. Like yeah, there's a dude who has amnesia and he used to work in a you know CIA type facility. Blah blah blah. Uh, but the they're completely different. The main. Um, the main villain of the books aren't even in the movies at all. So <laughs> it's, it's just crazy, but they're both really good stories and I like them both for what they are. And it's the same with, uh, with this, with the story, the movie is great and the book was awesome. They just didn't really have that much in common as far as the story goes. So, because we're not, not going to do spoilers till the second half of the show, we're going to head on over now. We've talked about the book briefly, as best as we can. I feel like if we really want to start talking about anything, we have to start talking spoilers because yeah. it's, there's very a lot of the things that I really, really like about the book, I can't say right now because it's a spoiler. So, we'll just kind of keep it as, yes, obviously, Jason and I both really enjoyed this. Um, so, we'll move on over to the movie. Now, Jason, I'm going to shoot to you again first for the movie um, because... This is a movie that I've seen before. I'm very familiar with Garland. If our last episode was on men, like Jason said. So um, in our last episode, I talked a lot about Alex Garland and I talked a lot about 
you know, his history, his work, his projects. So I'm not going to repeat all of that here. Suffice to say, if you're listening and you didn't listen to the episode on men, and you want to read up about, it's just available on just Google them. You know what I mean? It's like, I think at this point, you pro- most people probably came across at least Ex Machina or Annihilation at this point because they're they're pretty popular. So and all of his he's he's got a ton of work too as a screenwriter. You know, from Twenty Eight Days Later, um, a lot of uh, early Danny Boyle projects like. Um, the Beach, uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. He also um, wrote screenplays for like some video games, some popular video games. He did screenplays for Judge Dredd, the later adaptation that's pretty good. Um, just a ton of stuff. He had a very popular FX TV show called Devs, which is excellent, which is what I want Jason to watch next um, because I think Devs is his best work. So I'm kind of excited to see what you think about that. Um, keep that in mind. So, yeah, Garland, just in general, like, superb. So a little bit of information about the movie, though. So the movie came out, I think it was 2017 was the movie release. Now, the movie cost, I think it was about, like, somewhere in the, in the, in the realm of, like, $50 million to make. It did not make its money back. It was a big flop. Um, oh, it totaled in at about $43 million. There was, so what happened was um, Alex Garland and his producer, I guess, is this guy called Scott Rudin, I think is his name, um, Rudin had um, final say over final cut of this movie for Paramount Pictures. Now, an executive after a test screening of this movie turned around and he was like, "You got, we got to change the tone of this movie. You've got to make the lead character more uh, sympathetic, and you've got to change the ending of the movie into a more positive ending." Um, Garland was like, "No," and then his the other producer who had final cut, he was like, "We're sticking with Garland. We're not going to change it. It's going to be as fucking crazy as it is, and we're putting it out." So I'm eternally grateful for them for not editing the movie and like chopping its nuts off, so to speak. But also I think that could have affected the movie's box office because it's not a conventional movie by any stretch of the imagination, specifically the end of the movie. Um, and I think it's not a, it's kind of, it's not a feel good movie at all either. The, the ending's actually pretty, depending on how you look at it, the ending can be pretty grim. So with that being said statement (laughs) yeah right so i think that probably affected its box office so unfortunately not a big hit um other than that um a little bit of information about the movie so the movie stars natalie portman jennifer jason lee gina rodriguez tessa thompson um and oscar isaac is the main uh well he's pretty much the the only real male leading performance in the movie there's only one other char- male character in the movie, and that's guy. Um, I think it's a guy called Tuva Novotny. I can't pronounce his name. But there's only really Isaac, and then we see like little cl- clips of other guys. But really, it's just an all-female cast, and then Os- Oscar Isaac. Great cast, by the way. Everybody's knocking it out the park in this movie. Go for it, Jason. There was the uh, the interrogator guy. I forget his name. He's a well-known Asian actor. Benedict Wong. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is like, it's a reunion of like Star Wars folks right here, which is kind of funny. <laughs> that is kind of funny. Is Benedict Wong in Star Wars? Yeah. I forget what, what he plays. Um, movie came out in on February 13th, 2018. Um, a little while after that, in certain regions, it was actually released by Netflix. Netflix put it out in certain other regions, I guess, like globally um outside of the box office um 
other than that, yeah, great performances from top to bottom. A great cast, actually. Notably, in my opinion, Jennifer Jason Lee, who knocks it out the park in this movie. She's so good. She, she plays was, a psychologist. She was very eerie at times. Yeah, such a good, such a good casting for her. Really good performance. Another thing of note too, um, we're just talking technical uh, elements about the film right now. The uh, soundtrack to this movie is by the same. It's the same. So his scores, Garland scores for Devs, Ex Machina, Annihilation, and his latest Men are all done by a it, it's like a geo it's two guys ben salisbury and jeff barrow jeff barrow might be familiar to somebody listen to this and jeff barrow's in portishead so he's a very famous british musician yeah okay. and they do all of the, the soundtracks which makes perfect sense because the score for this movie is incredible especially incredible. the end yeah oh my god the, the end Ugh. It's out of control how good the score is. And especially, yeah, because it really kicks in. And when it kicks in at the end, I mean, it like slaps you in the face. It kicks in so hard. And it's like, it's it, it's it's such a point where it kicks in too. And the way it's handled, it's obviously electronic. Um, but the way it's um, mixed and arranged is super, super good. Especially if you have a good sound system or a good set of headphones. Yeah, there's a heck of a lot of pr- uh, processing on all of that. And it just sounds super cool. Like... To the point where the second time I watched the movie, when I got to the end, I almost kind of tuned out what was going on on screen because I was so interested in how did he do this? So I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, okay, so there's some chorus, there's some flanging, there's some, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. It's one of those things. Yeah. It sounds like very um, otherworldly. the, the closest comparison I have to that is obviously apart from their work on other Garland projects, which is there is a crossover sonically between these movies. But um, the guy who did um, Christopher Nolan's last movie, Tenant, uh, he's like a, an electronic uh, dance producer, but like on the avant-garde side, I forgot his name, but he has this like crazy um, studio where he has all these, these hand-built um, analog synthesizers. And I watched a documentary on making the music for Tenet. It's very like that this where there's so much manipulation of this like uh whatever it is synth whatever they're using and it's like um it's almost like its own kind of um style of score and it almost like its own genre of score it's very very good it's really good um so that's a, a definite highlight of this movie for anybody who's if you're even a musician like jason is are you interested in anything like that you know what i mean super good now that's pretty much what you need to know about the movie. That's who's in it, who directed it, and when it came out pretty much with the score. So Jason, with that being said, you said that when we were talking about on the previous episode, a lot of us were talking about Annihilation, it perked your, in- perked your interest and you were like, okay, I'm going to watch it. Because the text that I got in the middle of the night from you was, I came out of nowhere. I was like, holy shit, Jason watched that. It was like, that's super weird. That's super cool. So I'm going to let you lead this off because I think it was the movie that initially gave you this big big response so let me let me know about your experience watching the movie for the first time especially not knowing what to expect going into it yeah that's i love doing that with movies these days uh just not knowing anything other than somebody saying hey it's good you should watch it and yeah that's the best way uh yeah so i i I knew nothing about it other than what was mentioned in the podcast which was hey the movie was good so i was like all right fine um Funnily enough, though, uh, I initially wanted to watch um, Ex Machina. Um, 
Oh yeah. Because that seemed like it was going to be more of my vibe because you guys said it was more of like a sci-fi ish type thing or something. So I, I forget what it was you guys said, but that, that piqued my interest in that direction before uh, Annihilation. But the deciding factor is I could stream Annihilation and I would have to purchase Ex Machina. So yeah, <laughs> I was like, fine, I'll just watch Annihilation. And they said it was good. So I just sat down, turned it on, and holy crap, I was not prepared for what came on my screen. <laughs> it, it was like, uh, the movie is so beautiful. Yeah. But off-putting at the same time. Like the things that are beautiful also make you uncomfortable. Yep. And that's just, uh, I, I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> And like I said, when I got to the end of the film, which people say that this is a horror movie, I don't necessarily agree with that at I, all. I don't agree with that at all either. I mean, I don't. They're like, yeah, there's a like one like body horror scene, and yeah. and then there's some creepy stuff that goes on. There's a lot of tension. So if anything, I would say it's more of a a thriller, I guess, thriller sci-fi. Uh, cerebral action adventure <laughs> i don't know uh but yeah once i got to the end of the movie and i saw it was based on a book i was just that was it i was done <laughs> like yeah. scott this is what well, we're doing by its, by its nature it is an adventure movie really because they're just these main like our main characters who are following this female-led expedition team are essentially going on an adventure. Yep. They're basically going into Mordor. It's, you know it, what I, mean? I was about they, to say, it's, it's a walking yeah. simulator, just like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> no, but it, it is in a way because like they don't know what to expect. And what's different, obviously, is when we get into the, the differences between the book and the movie, the, like our characters know very little about what they're about to get into. So a, a brief plot synopsis for the movie, um, which I think we can kind of do, which... It's different. Hopefully won't give away too many... Yeah. So... The premise is, is in its purest form, the same as the book. There's an area called Area X, except in the movie, the Area X is the, like... The shimmer. The, the shimmer. It's actually called the shimmer in the movie. And it's the same principle, where we have um, an area that was affected by a physical or natural, whatever it is, anomaly that starts in a lighthouse and basically grows at a rate, an exponential rate in like diameter and it's heading both inland and it's heading out to sea. Same, that's the same as the book, okay? Straight off the bat. Now there's a couple of differences when we get it, and this is not spoiler, but plot centric. We do have an all female led team um, from the movie going in. The lineup is slightly different. So in the movie, we have a biologist who's, that's Natalie Portman, the main character, okay? We also have a psychiatrist, which is Jennifer Jason Lee, okay? And then we have, um, other than that, we have, um, this is an interesting one. There's a physicist, which is Tessa Thompson's character. Um, and then there's also a geomorphologist, which I'm not sure what that even is like a geomorphologist. I'm actually going to look it up now as we're speaking. Yeah, she um, in her introduction scene, she said it like she was like studying how the anomaly like affected she she described it as like trying to test a a, a hurricane with confetti. I remember that. So it's 
Yeah, so geomorphologists seek to understand why landscapes look the way they do, to understand landform and terrain history and dynamics to predict changes through a combination of field observations, physical experiments, numeric modeling. So they must look at it like um, like topographies of land and then try to predict how things will erode over time or change over time, which is probably to do with like, um, you know, how like... Um, cliffs fall into the sea and, and land roads and like it must be a bunch of stuff like that that's fascinating that's I, you learn something new every day you know yeah there you go that i guess that's pretty close to a to a surveyor it's like a surveyor on steroids i think it is i think that's probably the the genesis of that character so we have those and then who else do we also have yeah so we've covered the psychologist which is the jennifer jason lee portman is the biologist the physicist is tessa thompson then we have the geomorphologist and then we also have um another lady who is a um was she a like a paramedic or a medic oh yeah yeah, yeah. she was a yeah she was um she was a paramedic. I'm not sure if she was a, uh, a medic in the army as well, but she was based out of Chicago, she said. Yeah, so I'm guessing she's like a first responder. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of, yeah, okay. So that's your lineup. So again, it's slightly different. We have more women this time going in, and we have a slightly different lineup, a slightly different lineup of fields that they work in. But again, all scientists in this movie, again, this is the 12th um, trip. So the movie... The setup more or less is the same. We know that they're going into the shimmer. They know very little about the shimmer. Now, the difference in the movie is up until this point in the movie's universe, the public are not aware of this area. It's not well known and they haven't been public about the expeditions like they have in the book. The difference between the book is the book in the book, a lot of people have came out albeit like we said slightly different albeit slightly ill in the movie up until the, the beginning of the movie only one person has ever came out before mm-hmm. only one time nobody's ever came back from an expedition that includes dogs they send in animals and like i don't know what they would send in like would you send a donkey and a monkey in or like what's the be- <laughs> that's very strange well, I'll, I'll give you a small spoiler from the second book. They sent in a bunch of rabbits. Well, I suppose at the, at the beginning, they were probably like, well, we don't want to risk humans, so we'll just send, you know, I mean, like sending chimps into space. Same kind of bullshit, you know? Pretty much. So that they're set up the same. So in the movie, however, yeah, one person's only one person's ever came out. And that person now is sick and is um, rapidly accelerated in his illness. And that is also... Our main character, the biologist in this this case, played by uh, Natalie Portman, that's her husband, and that is played who's played by Oscar Isaac. So he's came out. So the difference being, though, that in the book, when her husband comes out, he dies, and he dies a little while before she decides to go in. This is very, and it took a while yeah, for him to die. As Portman well. is kind of thrown into this because she doesn't even know where her husband is. He's running like black ops. He's like, you know what I mean? It's off site. She knows he's like special forces or whatever he's doing, but she has no idea where he is. When he returns home, it's very unexpected and he's clearly not himself and he's very poorly. So when, as they're trying to take him to hospital, they get hijacked by the Southern Reach organization. And next thing you know, Port. Portland's, uh, Portman's in a situation where she's talking to the psychiatrist and she's like, hey, I'm going to go in. You know what I mean? So she goes in. She volunteers to go in. She's not forced to go in. She goes in. And then what ensues, again, is pretty different, pretty different from the book. 
for in a lot of ways, almost entirely, actually. Um, so no spoilers in terms of that. But Jason, obviously, I don't really have to get into it. I love the movie. Like, we'll talk about when we talk spoilers. Love it, top to bottom. Um, watching it again today, I was just struck by how it's kind of flawless, I think, the movie. I think it's like tonally, pacing-wise, I think like especially tonally, the movie is... It's dark in a way that's like, like Jason said, it's unsettling. It's unsettling, but at the same time, it's like, like he said, it's like you, you, the way they've depicted, the way they've like portrayed like their imagination of what the shimmer is or Area X is, and then the changes to the landscape and the animals and the ecosystem that's there. It's such a really good vision of it. Like they've picked a really cool way to depict it in like. They do such an effective job. It doesn't look cheap. The movie didn't cost a ton of money. It only cost 50 million. So it cost about a quarter of your average Marvel movie to make. But in terms of like the CGI use, the way it's shot, um, they do a pretty good job. And like, it just comes to life, this area. And it's like such a unique vision. It's oh, it's unlike it's, it's most modern sci-fi movies in terms of like a vision of like a, a different reality. Um, super, super good. Super effective. Um and unsettling in a way that's like you're both like awestruck by what you're seeing and horrified at the same time so it's kind of like you're disgusted but then at the same time you're like well that's super cool (laughs) so it's got a really good mix and then the ending of the movie which we'll get to is just a showstopper it's like wild it's so good um so yeah love it so when we come back now that we've told you what we like obviously we were going to like them we've told you a little bit about the book and a little bit of the movie when we come back we're going to talk spoilers so all bets are off so this is your time to stop go and watch the movie go and read the book before you come back um other than that stay tuned we'll see you soon boy time sure flies when you're having fun thanks for sticking with us As a friendly reminder, this next part of the show is spoiler heavy. Consider this a friendly warning. Now, let's get down to the nitty gritty. So Jason, now that we're in the spoiler section, we can actually open up because the differences between the the book and the movie are so vast that it's going to be fun kind of breaking it down and talking about like what we liked what we didn't like um so i'm going to throw it to you first because i've been talking a lot i feel like this episode <laughs> so um all better off spoilers um what did you want to talk about first well uh where to start <laughs> so one of the really cool things about the book that is not in the movie is as i made a quick reference to earlier this uh topographical anomaly um it's people look at it as either a pit a tunnel or a tower uh and she calls it a tower she is very adamant that it is a tower she's not sure why but for some reason whenever she just looks at it and sees kind of how the structure is it's it's just automatically a tower to her and she's not the only one it's in the first book um i know why but i can't tell you it's a spoiler wait what it's a spoiler i know why she calls it a tower 
um, and she thinks of it as a tower because uh, when I was doing a bit of research into the to the book there, um, somebody it came it just came up and somebody explained it like in what book it's in, and it actually oh. tells you later on. Yeah, but I'm not going to tell well, you. Okay, good because I, I will get there on my own. Um, but yeah, no that that's like the where the the book revolves around. The movie revolves around the lighthouse. The book revolves around this. So that's like one of the major differences right off the bat. Um, they this, both have the lighthouse. Yes, yeah. they, they do. They both yeah. have the lighthouse. And from what I gather, the lighthouse is uh, the origin in both the book and the movie. Um, but uh, the the tunnel, the tower, the whatever... Um, is kind of where all the the really interesting stuff happens. Um, so they don't ever explain to the uh, the people going into the expedition about the tower or the anomaly or whatever. They, in fact, they don't even mention it. Um, uh, the, the main character uh, references a few times about how they were very adamant on getting them to memorize a map. Everything was in relation to the positions of things on the map. And the tower wasn't even there, but their base camp was conveniently located in all of their base camps from all the expeditions apparently used the same base camp. Um, and it's right next to the tower. Spoilers wise, let's do the book first before we start we start going into it because I feel like the book is what that has, in my opinion, the yeah. The, I don't know. I think it's it's really interesting the stuff that's in the book that's not addressed yeah. in the movie. Yeah, I feel like the book has. If if we're talking about the stories of both the movie and the the book, the book has the bulk of all the really interesting stuff, which is because it's a book <laughs> you can do that easily well, let me ask you this then jason so in the the movie at the beginning of the movie um we see a meteor it looks like a meteorite heading towards earth right which lands hits the lighthouse or right directly next to the lighthouse immediately setting up that we know that something extraterrestrial extraterrestrial has hit the earth now we don't know whether that's an alien we don't know whether it's just a meteorite we don't know what it is but we know that something an event has happened at the lighthouse that there's no event in the book no it just starts it's it's there it's it's and it's been there um, yeah and like you said it is uh there, it's not as much of a, a secret in the book as it is in the in the movie um but that being said, uh, I didn't get the impression that it was common knowledge amongst the public. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it was there. It was kind of like a, a hidden in plain sight kind of a thing. Uh, in, the in the book. Movie. In the book. Oh, no. In, it, oh, in, in the book, I think it, it does say that it's like, yeah, it like people were people are aware of the expeditions and the anomaly. It just general people are aware of it. Right. But I don't know. It, it it's still like, which makes sense because how would you be able to keep something like that tied up anyway? You know what I mean? True, but uh, it, it's still very much mysterious, and nobody knows anything about it. Oh yeah, like in terms of what it is, nobody knows. Right. But everybody knows of it. Um, 
which I think yes, uh, that that was inevitable. Kind of a, yeah, um, it would it would be yeah for sure. But one difference uh, from the movie to the book that I really liked in the movie was uh, in the book the border is completely invisible. You cannot mm-hmm. see where it is at all. You just end up walking into it, and boom, you're you're kind of screwed. Um, but in the movie, there's like that. It, it almost looks like um, like a soap bubble. You know how how colors swirl and reflect. Yeah, that's in soap. what I thought. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it immediately struck me as, and I, I I quite liked it. Yeah, it's like that iridescent, like purple, yellow, greeny kind of sheen that's on, like you know, when you blow bubbles, like yeah. when you're a kid, and yeah. all the colors just kind of swirling all out throughout it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I did really like that in the in the movie, and I kind of wish they would have left that in the book, or put had that in the book, <laughs> not left that. In the book. Yeah, like that visual uh, element to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but later on, it does kind of add to the uh, the 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 scariness, the tension of the event happening. Because when it first happens, they explain this in this in the second book. So mild spoiler, uh, but people figured it out by other people going into it accidentally, and they just see like a car driving into it, and suddenly the first. Ha- like the car starts disappearing. Oh, really? Is <laughs> yeah. that okay? Um, that... And same thing on on the ocean, on the water. Uh, they gave the example of uh, a boat that was going into it without realizing mm-hmm. it, and they just uh, the passengers saw the boat just disintegrating in front of them, and some of them decide to like run to the back of the boat and jump off, while others react differently and just kind of accept it and just kind of go into it. Um, yeah, but. Not not good in the in the book because in the book there's only one entrance that is viable. Any other yeah. Uh, if you try to go into the anomaly just randomly, you're, you're dead. And the, so, in terms of like the the setup, like we mentioned, um, we have a smaller crew in the book. Uh, and in what's interesting too is in the book as opposed to the movie, there is. There's far more to the d- dynamics between the members of the 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 crew in the book, and specifically the character played uh, of the psychologist. She is dramatically different in the book in terms of the effect that she has. So, what I like in the book is I like how it introduces the um, the notion that these women have been prepped to go into um, into the anomaly, so they've been getting prepped for a while now none of them um are like military background to my knowledge or like um now in the movie we find out natalie portman was actually in the army and uh, oscar isaac her husband is a soldier in the book uh she is a biologist she's not a biologist who was in the army she's just a straight biologist her whole life like a an educated person like a like a scholarly more more scholarly well not that i'm saying natalie portman isn't but you know what i mean natalie portman came from a different background in the book straight biologist and her husband was not a soldier either he was a medic he was a doctor but he wasn't like an army soldier he was just like he was just like a medic um so like the 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 military aspect has been removed i just thought uh something interesting about that uh i guess that's where our character from the movie um the the paramedic from chicago i guess that's how her character ended up into it yeah i think so too 
I think so. Um, but specifically talking about the psychologist in the book, though, she is very nefarious. And Ooh, um, yes. she is, uh, her ties with the whole shadowy Southern Reach organization, it becomes apparent that there is meddling going on between uh, the organization and the 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 people who are going in to, to check out the area. Specifically, the use of um, hypnosis, which I think is fascinating. Yes. Hence the name Annihilation. Annihilation is one of the code words that she programmed into all of the explorers to immediately kill themselves. Yep. Yeah. Um, the, so the, the whole hypnosis thing, like I understand that you can't, it, it's very hard to put things like that into movies, especially if it's, you know, things that you can't see. Uh, so I understand mm-hmm. why they didn't, he didn't have any kind of like hypnosis in the movie, but holy crap, it is in the book, whenever you see it happen, like the first time that she realizes that she's suddenly become immune to hypnosis and then she sees it happen to everybody else around mm-hmm. her and she just kind of freaks out and goes with it and is like, oh crap, I hope she didn't notice. Oh, dude, it was so good. Because right off the bat, yeah. you, it just, it pins that uh, the psychologist as, okay, this is probably the villain. But she's yeah, not. so that's what's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but she's a villain. Uh, yes. Uh, in terms more. of she is a antagonist, which in the movie she is definitely not. She's a, a woman who's uh, has a terminal illness who has basically decided that she'd rather just go in. She's been observing this anomaly for so long and sending people in and seeing nobody come back. But she's she's like, um, I'm guessing, like an operable cancer. So she's like, well, I'm going to go in. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? I'm gonna... But like anything she does is not nefarious. She doesn't sabotage the operation. She doesn't do anything like, whereas there is a lot more infighting in terms of like, or there's a lot more tension between the characters in the book. We do have tension in the movie because the, um, the medic character, the, the first responder character, she kind of loses her shit a little bit, but she's the only person that really kind of like messes up their, their unit. Um, and that's just because she has essentially a mental breakdown given the circumstances of what's happening. And she's the one that doesn't take it the, the best, you know what I mean? But in the book, yeah, there's a lot more interplay going on, a lot more dynamics between these characters, uh, specifically between um, the biologist main character and the um, the severe. The severe, they have an openly hostile relationship pretty much from the get-go, um, especially when they're descending into the tower, into the tunnel. Um, there's a lot of back and forth between the two. So what happens is when she's in the tunnel, which is more like a tunnel that descends downwards, which I think is really cool is she starts to see this living organism that's stretched all across the walls of the building. Now, the organism, in a way, has started to form words, and it uh, actually spells out this whole big screed. It's like a big creed, rather, of like, um, and it's it sounds almost Shakespearean or like something that's from a Bible passage, perhaps. Yeah, it sounds um, like, in the it sounds like, um, like Old Testament Bible. Yeah. Specifically Old Testament. Yeah, in which, because of this, this um, we know that somebody wrote this, and we know that there's, a, there's a, it's a, like a, a living scripture that's written along the wall, which also introduces it, it um, into I think the character's the crawler, um, which is that's what she calls um, it, yeah, yeah, which is an entity that's not in the movie, um, which she has like a run in with later on. We know that one of the characters actually dies at the hands of this creature um, because the psychiatrist um, (laughs) through hypnosis makes one of the other characters go and take a sample 
uh, she makes her go down and take samples and then knowing that like if she gets killed and you know what I mean so we're introduced to that they there's no culmination that we do go to the lighthouse for a period of time in the book um, and the lighthouse does contain a lot of interesting secrets and a lot of interesting information again not really covered in the movie correct yeah no the lighthouse was really interesting in the books um because that was it seems bigger too yeah it does seem uh seem larger uh because there's there's like rooms on the ground floor uh yeah. specific mm-hmm. rooms whereas in the the movie it's just an open chamber kind of like your standard uh lighthouse uh although i'm not a lighthouse expert <laughs> so <laughs> uh could be wrong there um but yeah, no, in the, in the books, uh, yeah, the lighthouse is much bigger and it's much scarier. There's like blood stains all over the walls yeah. mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Come to find out that that's where, uh, uh, kind of everything originated. And, uh, in the early expeditions, um, they had to like fight off creatures that came out of the sea Yeah, and, yeah, it was just very bizarre. And then as as she climbs to the top of the tower, suddenly everything kind of abruptly changes from bloody and disregarded and in disrepair to suddenly clean and orderly and uh, at least to a, a certain extent. Uh, she described that instead of having just bullet shells scattered willy-nilly all over the floor, they were actually swept to the side. So it's like, woohoo, somebody did some sort of cleaning. Um but the big thing in the lighthouse were the the journals. All the these journals that were supposed to be recovered or uh, or taken out on extraction, they're all there. <laughs> it's this huge mountain of uh, of journals, and and that's when it first strikes her that she was like, "There's hundreds of journals." And yeah, way more people than could possibly than have gone yeah. in 12 expeditions. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what's interesting about the book, too. Like, the movie covers it in a way. So, when they first go into the shimmer in the movie, they do lose four days. Uh, and we know that when Natalie Portman's being interrogated in a flash forward scene at the beginning of the movie, they were like, You've been in there for four months. And she felt like she'd been in there for three days. Now, so it does play around with that time anom- anomaly. Um, in the book, however, there's some seeds of doubt, at least uh, from the first book. I can't speak for the second and third book, but they they do plant a seed of, of the fact that um, one of the people in their journals mentions the state of the uh, equipment that they're taking in. Like, we're only bringing in old guns. These are old parts, old bullets. So immediately it starts to play around with their placement in time because we don't know what year this is. And we don't know uh, if this is in the future, if this is like contemporary to when the book was written. Um, but also, there's hints because she keeps she makes a joke about expecting to see a blunderbuss in there, and like uh, and <laughs> yeah. like, it starts to play around with the notion that perhaps due to the vo- she's literally crawling in volumes of these journals. Like it, it, the way it's described, she's like literally like climbing her way through piles of journals um in which case it plays around with the notion of time where like this could have been going on for a hundred years yeah we we uh well i don't i don't know specifically that one one way that the the author described it which was very a very powerful word 
he described it as a midden of uh, of journals. Yeah, which is a very distinct word, <laughs> but apt, very apt. Um, but yeah, no. Um, as far as how long it's been going on, I don't think it could be like hundreds of years. Uh, I'm thinking more like probably. 20, 30? F- no, not even that long. Uh, well, based point, around how, how far it's expanded. Yeah, how far it's expanded. It couldn't have been uh, that long. It, yeah, I'm thinking it's probably closer to like 15 years. 20 years, so, something like so that. So longer than you, yeah, longer than you initially believe it to be. Yeah, longer you know? than you initially believe it to be, but then at the same time, not as long as you might guess. So am I supposed to believe then that with the the talk about the equipment that they're using, is it because there was like equipment malfunctions within the anomaly within the the Area X? Well, they, so they started to use older equipment, perhaps. It, to make it wasn't it less. It, I don't think it was necessarily a malfunction. I think, um, if I remember correctly from what I've read, um, there was some sort of reaction to the equipment. I don't know okay. whether or not it was. Um, like maybe using some sort of electronics would immediately give them away their, their position to the crawler who would then be agitated by it and then just go and kill everyone. I'm not sure, but for some reason, cause they did say that they took in, um, the first, with the first expedition, they did take in cameras. So there were cameras, uh, whenever it first started. Um, but then Something about Revented using technology. Yeah. yeah, something about using technology was a very bad idea. And I haven't gotten to that point as to why it's a Tech bad idea. That explains that. Because yeah, it's not in sure. the first book. The first book is very okay. much just her experience and then it ends. And it doesn't yeah. give you any answers. <laughs> yeah. So basically where we end up is, um, to kind of summarize the the first book. So she goes in curious to see what she can learn specifically about the uh, anomaly and to try and also gleam some information about what it was that happened to her husband, her late husband. Um, through the book, we get some flashbacks to her. Uh, she describes her childhood, um, growing up, learning, studying animal life, um, different places she was like, um, she was stationed on like, I guess she had like a learning grant somewhere where she was like studying on a coastal town. Um, so we get a little bit, a little bit more information, a little bit more fleshing out about her, um, a little bit more fleshing out about her relationship with her husband, uh, specifically the nature of their relationship, um, that she's very quiet, very guarded. Um, she's not really one for small talk. Her husband was very social, would like to hang out with a lot of people. Um, that kind of was a, a source of tension between them, but only from his point of view, she didn't care, but I think he felt like socially, like he felt like they, he was concerned about how she was fitting in with his friends concerned about her. Yeah. He had like some weird, um, mental thing about like, he, he thought that she was like, uh, something that could be unraveled and understood more. Yeah. And on her end, she's like, no, this is me. What you see, this is it. Yeah. Straightforward. Quit trying to push for the other person inside of me Mm -hmm. because there isn't one. Yeah. 
So no indication of an affair like there is in the movie. Um, they're very straightforward. Uh, so when she goes in, um, she becomes aware rather quickly once she breathes in some spores from the crawler, from, from the, um, the, the living script, scripture yeah. on the wall. She breathes in some spores. Her body starts to undergo a transformation, which she calls the brightness or the brightening. She feels like there's a brightness taking up. And uh, other characters look at her and describe her and say, hey, you're glowing, you're physically glowing. So what happens is she starts to undergo this transformation um, as this spore or this whatever fungus or whatever it is, a virus perhaps that's got into her, starting to change her. And she's starting to grow a connection between herself and the the, uh, of the anomaly that's happening. Um she is aware very quickly of the nefarious intentions of the psycho- uh, psychiatrist, um, psychologist rather. Um, she does not get on very well with the severe. Um, now, what happens is as the um, as the characters start to disappear one by one, this she comes. It comes to a head. She actually has a. Um, she ends up killing the severe um, because they have like a shootout, a gun gunfight. Um, she also ends up. Um, confronting and having a, a, a situation with a, psych, a psychologist who um, has been um, badly injured from a fall. She's also starting to turn. The psychologist tries to trigger her by using one of the code words, which is annihilation, to try and kill it. It's not successful. Um, the psychologist ends up dying. Um, and then what happens is our main character, she does make it to the lighthouse. She learns as much information as she can. There's a really touching and pretty interesting well-written thing where she starts to go through her husband's journals and she could tell that part of the way he was writing in his journals and describing how he was he was looking at like um uh, animal life and and animal and he was writing it and he was writing it in a way that was very much not like something he would do so she was like this is obviously his him his way of communicating to me it's almost like he's talking to me through this because he's a, he was in the hope that she might one day get to read his journals very much um so. rather yeah. yeah which i think was really interesting and really well written and it was in a way she said that he didn't feel the need to have to say i love you because he knows i didn't but, but like this was in a way he was getting through to her far more effectively by doing this because um, that really connected with her, yeah. which I thought was a really cool, really cool. Yeah, because she did mention that she's she doesn't really like those words, like the term, like using words like "I yeah. love you." That for some reason, uh-huh. it makes her feel uncomfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, him, he knows that, and yeah, doing this, it, it was basically like his love letter slash goodbye. Yeah, which is super cool. Um, and then ultimately what ends up happening is they, we, we don't have any uh, contact once she goes into the Area X with the Southern Reach organization. There's no contact again with anybody out from the outside world. She doesn't leave Area X. Ultimately what happens is she has another run-in with the crawler, which um, almost kills her. Um, and she makes a discovery that in the crawler uh, is the lighthouse keeper. The original lighthouse keeper has become fused almost into part of this this biological entity well he, he, um, he was the entity yeah he was the entity yeah so at one point it was the lighthouse keeper which is a good point because most people are like, well who the hell what happened to the lighthouse keeper when this went down um and then what, upon that discovery and upon, and upon that run-in it basically she doesn't die from it if anything what happens is she actually sees it again one more time and ignores her because she's kind of starting to ch- turn fully she also discovers from her husband's journals that um 
we know that one variant of her husband returned um, and died. But as as we start to learn about the, the biology and the ecosystem there, the, the, we know there's clones and duplicates of certain things happening, hence the duplication of her husband. Um, but she also knows that her husband, it, from his journals, decided to venture out on a boat and head further down into the anomaly on like further He's, down. Yeah, he so, was trying to get to an island that was mentioned. He was trying to get to an island. So the mo- the book ends with her staying in Area X. She's by herself now and she's f- pushing on to see what else she can find. Well, she's trying to and find her husband. She Yeah, totally. If and like and then that's pretty that's literally how the book ends. The book doesn't wrap anything up. It no. doesn't give you an explanation for anything. It doesn't like tie anything up and it also in a weird kind of way apart from the fact that it's open-ended, it doesn't really feel like it's the beginning of a trilogy either. It just kind of feels like it's ending. Yeah, no, like the best way I can describe the book is it's just an experience. Like yeah. it, it, it could totally be finished right there and I would be fine with it. Thank goodness it doesn't end right there because I really want more of it, but it would be fine if it ended right there. That's ex- that's funny you said that because that's what I was going to say to you too. If this was only one book, I'd be super super fine with that. Like I'd feel satiated enough because if it's like open ended nature that I could like fill in the blanks myself. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, it definitely gets your imagination going. This book. Now with the movie, um, the movie, <laughs> where to begin in terms of the 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 differences really. Um. All of it. <laughs> all of it. So we know it's an all-female team that goes in. We know that we have, we've have. we talked about the um, the different kind of scientists who are going in. Um, once they get inside, immediately what happens in the book is, uh, sorry, in the movie, is that we, we are aware immediately that it was a four-day time loss uh, between when they go in. They can't, once they walk through the shimmer, Natalie Portman wakes up in a tent and it's like, based around how much food supplies have lost, it's four days have passed and they all wake up in the morning. So they don't know when they pitched camp. They don't know where they are. They just know that they went through the shimmer. So everybody's off the bat, kind of like very like, kind of like spaced out, don't know what the hell's going on. Very disoriented. Yeah, they're all put off Um, guard. All put off guard. Now what happens is as they progress head inwards with the end goal ultimately to be head towards a small village and then into the village down to the coast till they get to the lighthouse. Um, on their way, immediately we have a run-in with uh, what we think is an alligator, um, which turns out to not be an alligator. It's like a hybrid alligator with the jaw of a shark. So it has the same teeth growth as a shark uh, inside of an alligator. So immediately we know that there's some kind of like a melding between species going on here. Um we're introduced to the flora and fauna around the area, and and it's very fantastical looking. Everything has this this haze. The um, physicist figures things out pretty quick in the sense that she said that what it's doing is the shimmer is refracting everything. What in in, in a way that like light would refract, the shimmer is doing that, but it's not doing that to light. What it's doing it to is everything in terms of radio waves. That's why there's no sequel go- that uh, signals going in and out of the the shimmer. It's also doing that to DNA, to plant DNA, to human DNA, animal DNA. Everything is kind of going through this prism and coming out the other side, either cloned, jumbled, <laughs> jumbled, all mixed up. So we have these kind of fantastical creatures. Um, now 
we know that a lot of these are causing a threat, like the the alligator shark, but we also come across a bear that is terrifying uh, and yeah. super crazy. So what happens is there's no tension really between the characters. The characters seem to be getting on pretty well. They're making the best of it. Um, as things start to unfold, um, our medic starts to lose her shit a little bit. One of the characters, who's the geomorphologist, she actually gets abducted by the bear once they get to their second base camp. She gets abducted by the bear. That's one way to put it. A, well, yeah, abducted, <laughs> like straight up murdered by this bear. Um, and then upon that, that's when the um, the medic starts to come un- unglued. I think that's like, you know what I mean? She starts to become really terrified for her life. All of the characters are starting to notice physical differences going on with them. Specifically, when they look at their hand, you can see like skin moving. Um, you know, there's like a, like there's definitely a change that everybody's feeling. Yeah, on the fingerprints, one the medic mentions that her fingerprints are moving when she looks at them. Um, so you would be, I mean, could you imagine how fucked up that would be? Terrifying. I would. I would be one of the ones losing my shit, no doubt. <laughs> I'd just be heading home immediately. <laughs> yeah, right. I'd be like, get me out. Yeah, I, um, I would have been all about the, okay, coast, exit. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> so just before the bear attack, they decide to, to there at the previous base camp, which is was ultimately swallowed by the, uh, the shimmer and abandoned. When they get to this base camp, they realize that her husband in the previous expedition had been using this as one of their bases, and they've had like um like a uh, a timeline set out on the wall, like a um it's like a timetable for people to take watch and guard the area, so they know that they need to do this. So they start like posting um to take guard and watch watch out what's going on. When they're there, they actually come across a uh, envelope, which is to say is uh, is ad- addressed to whoever follows next. Something along those lines. In there, there's a memory card. They put the memory card in a uh, camcorder, I guess it is, of some kind, to watch what's on. And then you are witness to a pretty horrific scene, Jason, which when I was watching it, I was like, Jason's not going to like this. Yeah. uh, So the part about that scene, yeah, no, it did kind of get me a little bit, a little bit of the heebie-jeebies, but only whenever he was uh, actually cutting open. Cutting him. Yeah. Yeah. Once he like opened it up and revealed what was inside, I was just like, what? Because yeah. whenever it's not super realistic, it doesn't affect me at all. Yeah, for sure. So what we see is Oscar Isaac and his team of soldiers. Um, and one of the guys is in severe distress. And we see Oscar Isaac, Isaac cut a hole in him, basically open him up. And when they look at his insides, his insides are turning like snakes, basically. Everything's moving inside of him. So you can imagine the effect that watching this video has on the group. They're like, holy shit, holy shit, everybody's freaking out. Because now they're all thinking that that's what's going to happen to me. (laughs) Yep. Um, Fast forward a little bit. um, We have the bear attack where the geomorphologist is taken. And then faced with the situation, they decide to keep pushing on to head towards a little village, um, which has been kind of consumed by the land in a very cool way. because they figured out that where they're at right now, it took them like six days to get there. Going back would take longer. Yeah. Uh, I did have one gripe about the movie, and it was mm-hmm. that scene um, where uh, the psychologist is uh, keeping watch, and mm-hmm. she's out in that little post down on the field. Uh, that made no sense to me <laughs> for a few different reasons. Uh, one, she was at a vantage point 
they were all sleeping mm-hmm. from a vantage point. And then she goes to take watch by going down into the field <laughs> to where she can only watch in one direction. And then on top of that, she's got a light in her face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it says they should have all been in that watchtower. They should have all been in the watchtower. And you, if you're trying to like keep watch at night, the worst thing you can do is have a light in your face because it kills exactly. your night vision. Yeah, and so it doesn't make any sense. And there was a point in the in that scene where they're like looking out, and they're like, "I can't see anything," and I'm I'm here yelling at the screen because you got a light in your face, you freaking idiot. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. It's so dumb. So it's not very well, but again, though, you can see, I, like I, th- this could also be the fact that none of these guys have combat experience. I mean, really, other than Natalie Portman, do you really need combat experience <laughs> to know that shining a light in your face gets rid of your night vision? No, but like. <laughs> They should have been. They should have been in that watchtower. It would have been the safest place for them to be, off the totally. ground. Yeah, one hundred percent safest place for them to be. But that's um, my anyway, only. So, that's my only gripe with the movie. Other than that, oh no, totally. Fine. Well, it doesn't really make much sense. So as they push on to the next village, they come across um, uh, a small village, and they basically camp up again. At this point, the medic is fully losing it. Uh, she basically takes them all hostage. Um, with the attention, try, uh, the intention of discovering what is going on, she discovers that Portman is wearing a necklace around her her neck with a picture of her ex husband in there, or not her ex, but her husband who's currently not very well. Um, the medic obviously puts two and two together. She's seen that face before. It's the guy in the video. She's like, "Why aren't you telling me what's going on?" The whole set up if there's two explanations of what happened one is that something kills people when they go in the shimmer and the other explanation is that people kill themselves when they go inside of the shimmer and she's like pretty much like am i going to be getting killed by you or am i going crazy and we're going to kill each other you know what i mean like right like what's going on they managed to get out of that because the bear comes back thankfully the bear basically goes on a rampage and does this really crazy thing where the bear actually calls in the bed does the screams of the geomorphologist um so that in in a way we guess that she's somehow was fused with the bear when she was being consumed by the bear so the bear does this really weird thing like you know when parrots do that thing where they're like they mimic human human voices yeah it's kind of like the bear's doing that but the the voice is her scream yeah her her yelling like help me help me and stuff like that uh it was yeah very chilling yes chilling that's a very good way to very effective very scary um from that encounter, we wake up the next day. The psychologist has had enough. She's ran off to the lighthouse. She's like, I just got to get to the, I've got to figure out what's going on. I don't give a shit anymore. I'm dying anyway. I just want to get to the cause. I want to go straight to the point. Um, now, we're left with the physicist and the biologist, uh, Portman and Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson has decided that she's got to a point where she, she, she says there's, there's two things you can do. You can either be killed by this or you can be like have a hostile takeover by this uh this whatever this life form is or that's doing this or you can she's discovered she can you can basically just like give into it and just kind of like Go with coexist flow, with yeah. it and let it consume you and uh, she decides that that's how she wants to go so ultimately she just turns into a living tree statue um which is super cool that is yeah i liked how um how you see as she's walking off like uh like she's sitting down, she's having this conversation with her and you can see all like the scars on her arms and yeah. stuff like that. And then, she's self mutilated. She, yeah. yeah. Um, and then she gets up and she starts to walk away and then it's almost like those scars like slowly start to open up 
and that's where yeah. like the the shoots of the the branches start to just to peek out but you only get a brief glimpse as it uh, of it as she's like going around Looking a corner yeah. and so it's, i i found myself going back and like rewinding that and like just watching that sequence uh, a, a few yeah. times over just because it was really cool and i, I it, it was a really good way to get around trying to actually pull off those special effects of watching her turn into a tree <laughs> it just Exactly. It, it, it hints, it starts, and then she goes around the corner, and then whenever uh, Portman's character follows her, she's not there, and it's just a bunch of these tree bush people, which I guess isn't a terrible way to go. No, I mean, and I guess that, that ties into her character. Though You know, like earlier on, it's mentioned that like all of these women have like some kind of past trauma, um, and one of hers is that she uh, self-mutilates, and then... Um, there's a actually there's a lot of really good dialogue in this movie he's such a good writer but like um because garland obviously did the screenplay from the the book um but there's a couple of good lines one of them where she's talking about to the psychologist about it and she's like oh she must have tried to kill herself and and, and she goes oh yeah, i think you're making a, a mistake between like trying to kill yourself and self-destructing and she goes like very few people actually try to kill well, themselves but almost everybody self-destructs and then she's talking about how people smoke and she goes and she's just cutting herself and and, she, and it's not to like kill herself it's because she's trying to feel alive in a sense that you know i guess that that's a thing that cutters and self-harmers do it's to feel something you know what i mean yeah she actually she had that conversation in the boat uh it wasn't with the psychologist that was a separate conversation later uh the, oh yeah the, there's the two self, conversations yeah the self-destruct yeah. one was because she thought uh her husband went in there to commit suicide. That's correct. Was, yeah, you're she, right. You're she right. was saying there's a difference for that. But no, it was the, um, the, uh, what was it? The geomorph. The geomorphologist. Yeah, I know. I've got a, yeah, like, whatever, what's yeah. this word again? Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was between her and the geomorphologist in the boat whenever she said she was trying to commit suicide. And she's like, no, it was the opposite. She was trying to feel alive. Yeah, because the the geomorphologist herself lost her daughter, uh-huh. and that was like her past trauma. Yep. Uh, Portman um, was obviously saying she lost her husband. Yep. At least that's what she's telling everybody else. She hasn't told anybody, by the way, that her husband is alive and he's on base camp, and he was in the previous expedition, and he's the only person that ever came out. And the only other person that knows that's a psychologist. So anyway... Once Tessa Thompson's character gives herself in the physicist, she gives herself into nature. She just basically gives herself over to it. Portman follows in pursuit of the psychologist down to the beach, heading towards the lighthouse. Now, when we get to the beach, we're hit with beautiful visuals where we see the lighthouse at the end of the beach and the trees have become crystallized. Like, um, it's stunning. Like, like, like glass. Um, like glass, yeah. Uh, and that's one of the, the things that I did want to bring up. I'm glad you brought us in this direction. Um, there were a few things that Garland took from the book and then just morphed into his own thing. Um, and that's one of them that I really liked, uh, because in the book, when they're talking about the lighthouse itself, uh, they, they mentioned, uh, or described, uh, like shards of glass, that were mm-hmm. mounted to the side of the uh, the lighthouse in, in defense. And uh-huh. then when you get to the lighthouse in the movie, there's a lot of glass everywhere. And so I was like, okay, I see what you did there. And I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, 
So we're at the lighthouse, but we're starting to get to this is the final uh, the final third of the movie basically the culmination of the movie uh what happens is uh the lighthouse this time very different from the book it's a lot smaller it's more like a quaint postcard idea of what a small little lighthouse would be when she actually goes inside it's not very big we know it has those the the winding staircase in most lighthouses that goes around till you get to the top um in the main area though we don't see it doesn't look like people are living there basically it's we have like this huge hole in the ground, um, which has be kind of fused itself into the fabric of the building. And um, so like we see the hole and then we see the burnt out remains of a human being like up against the wall, almost like, you know, when you see those people from Hiroshima who were like, you see the ghost of them. Yeah. On the that's wall that's when what it made blast. me think of too. Yeah. Like a yeah, nuclear totally. shadow. Mm-hmm. So we see the like the burnt out figure in we start to put two and two together that I at least I did like straight away like well that's got to be her husband Oscar Isaac. Uh, she finds a video camera that's set up so she plays the video camera and again it's a, it's a message from him to whoever's watching it and basically he's like um, I don't feel like myself anymore I feel different my head's all detached my brain feels free but I don't like it um, I'm really really struggling and, he go, and then he pulls out a phosphorus grenade which is super cool which I haven't seen before I, I guess there must be things a real thing and oh, he was like um, but we become aware that he's not only talking to the camera he's talking to somebody who's operating the camera and he's like have you ever seen a phosphorus grenade go off before um, you need to cover your eyes because it's going to hurt your eyes and we're like well why is he telling us we're just watching through the camera um, the grenade goes off and he basically incinerates himself almost immediately um, massive flash of white light and then as soon as it's done the character walks from behind the camera towards him and we discover that it's actually another Oscar Isaac we put two two together and we know right now who's at that base camp we know who got right. out because it's that other Os Oscar Isaac Portman confronted with this starts to hear noises coming from down inside the hole so she follows the noises going down in the hole and who do we see lo and behold the psychologist first off I just gotta pause you for a second I don't know how you make these intuitive leaps by seeing a dead body on the floor and just being like oh yeah that's probably the husband I had no idea I've seen, I've seen so many movies Jason that I'm like I'm like they gotta tie that back in okay fair enough but yeah, no, I, I didn't see it coming at all. Whenever uh, she uh, flipped on the camcorder. And oh, then, right. Oh, really? Yeah. And then you see, I see him sit down. I'm like, okay, what's going on? And okay. then you see, the, you see it go off and then uh, the clone comes around the corner. I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, well, you know why, though? I'm probably just saying that because I've seen the movie before. So it's not that I put two and two together. It's I've seen the movie, but I haven't seen it for like five years. But maybe, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Okay. That's probably what it is. That's probably makes more um, sense. Although I do find myself predicting a lot of shit in movies because I've seen so many of them. Um, anyway, she heads down into the hole. We're getting right to the end of the movie now. Right down in the hole, find the psychologist, okay? Psychologist is basically having a conversation with this. We don't know what it is. And she has it's no basically, eyes. And she has no eyes until she does have eyes until again. Until she does have she eyes. Around. Um, she's aware that the um, Natalie Portman is there. She turns around and talks to her, and, she, and something along the lines of like, "It's time to give in. Like, this is where we're supposed to be. This is what's going to happen." Next thing you know, she basically gets consumed and turned into like an explosion of light and particles that basically release themselves from her body. She kind of goes like Super Saiyan, and she, she's just like. She does. Uh, what I what I gathered from that was that was um, 
like whatever this entity is that is in the the film, um, it it saw Portman coming in, and so it, it used the body of like the matter it needed because you know just like the rule of physics, you know, no, you can't create something out of nothing. Um, so she used or the entity used the psychologist's body to then recreate itself into uh, this super strange, awesome, weird looking thing. Um, and then all it needed was a little bit of Portman's DNA. And that's when you see yep. her blood go into it. And then it's, yeah. it forms into yep. the the being that is a, a mirror image representation of Portman, which yeah. speaking of the soundtrack, that specifically is, is what it kicks it. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because we, so we see the, the psychologist get consumed, right? And then with the blood, the speck of blood that gets pulled from Portman, uh, into this, it becomes like this big glowing ball and it's like morphing and changing and changing. And it's incredible. It's like very transfixing when you're watching it. You're like, you get almost hypnotized by it when you're watching it. Soundtrack's going on. Everything's popping off. gets super surreal. So it's my understanding, but we'll just put a pin in the in the story right now. So my understanding, my take on it, is this meteor that hit the Earth that we see at the beginning of the movie hit this lighthouse, okay, mm. or near this lighthouse. I don't think it was a terrestrial being so much as it was it, it, almost like a machine, like a, a a like a um like a reactor. So when it's hit, it's basically like this this organism that is kind of like a reactor that basically manipulates DNA and manipulates matter and, and, it, and it duplicates and it regrows and it like changes everything. Yeah. But I don't really think of it in my head as like it was a being that touched down who's doing this. It's almost as if it's like, if you think of it as like this, like, I think it, I know it's hard to describe. Okay, I know where you're going and I, I, I do agree. I don't think it was like one entity. That, that yeah, in the sense of like, it, yeah, it was more alien. of like, um, like a colony, I guess you can say, kind of like how mold, when mold grows, yes. uh, it, yep. it's mm-hmm. technically one living organism, but it's also not. It's a bunch of uh, little beings that are alive that are all interlocked, yep. um, kind of like a symbio- symbiotic relationship, but not quite. It's weird. I don't, I don't quite get it. But yeah, it's like a colony creature. And I think that yes. that's what it does is it just, it started manipulating um, the area, the reality around it into something that was resembled something more of what it's used to, which is obviously completely different from what we're used to. So Yeah. So yeah, like in a way you could think of it as like a virus that duplicates and replicates itself and adjusts and changes itself. Mm-hmm but also changes its host too. Or you could look at it as like like a, like a tumor or like a cancer. Like, you know, when we see the beginning of the movie, the cancer cells splitting off and like duplicating yeah. and duplicating. In a way, that's kind of what this is doing too. But it's doing it to all life. And like, so that leads to think that this could be something that is almost like a, the meteorite in itself could be like a spore that is released from another planet. And like these spores come off and they hit other planets and, and then turn do them, the yeah, turn the other planets into themselves again and then repeat the process. 
Yeah, that's kind of how I I'm, I I choose to interpret anyway. That's kind of like that's kind of what a cool I got. Way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. So um, Portman confronted by this this being, this creature that's a clone of herself. Um, as the being starting to take form and it's starting to mirror her movements, um, Portman kind of outfoxes it in a way, or at least we think she does, and um, basically grabs another phosphorus grenade, puts it in the being's hand. And then the bean releases the grenade and then basically burns itself down. When it's doing that, though, it starts to basically head back down into the into the heart of the lighthouse, yeah, into the, like the generate. Yeah. Yeah. Like the like into the boiler room, so to speak, that self that all catches on fire and the whole thing build, burns down the whole thing. Portman leaves and heads back to base camp. Um, and what happens is the shim is gone. All of it's gone. It's all burnt down, and all of a sudden, Oscar Isaac is released from whatever kind of like illness that he has. His illness stops, and basically starts to recover health. Portman goes back, but there's no more shimmer. There's no more nothing. It's they actually send a team down. The Southern Reach organization send a team down to survey what's happened, and they're like, "It's all gone. It's like scorched earth." Yeah, they said there's you know nothing I mean? left of the lighthouse. It's just ash. Mm-hmm. So we see Portman being interrogated, which flash back to the beginning of the movie. That's how it starts. And then um, they're quizzing her and like, can you describe what it was? And she's pretty vague when she's giving them answers as to what happened. Um, yeah. Which... Um, I, I really liked uh, that they, that he included that into the movie, which either makes me think one of two things, either a, he kind of knew where the, the second book was going to go. Mm-hmm. Or B, the opposite happened and Vandermeer kind of said, I like that. I'll kind of use that a little bit because in the second book, uh, she's getting interviewed and she's very terse with her response. And she uses specifically, I don't know, a lot in the book to the point where the, oh, in- really? to the interrogator is kind of getting a little frustrated with the fact that she just keeps saying, I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. I don't know. That's interesting. So she is uh, reintroduced back to, uh, with Oscar Isaac. When she meets Oscar Isaac again, he's feeling better. And she turns to him, she goes, you're not whatever her husband's name is, are you? And he turns around and he's like, no, I don't think I am. And then he goes, are you whatever her name is? Is it Claire, whatever her name is? Um, he's like, are you Claire, whatever? And then she's like- It was Lena. She looks at a Nina. Uh, Lena. Yeah, and then they embrace. Yeah. But she does not answer the question. No, she doesn't. <laughs> so- I don't know if you noticed this. Apparently, I need to check this out, but apparently on one of the scenes, you know how she has the tattoo on her arm of the circle? Actually, I was about to start talking about that because that's one thing that I noticed the first time going through was uh, this tattoo that keeps popping up. It's the uh, it's okay. the, it's the snake eating itself. The, yeah, the uh, Aurora Boris or whatever it's called. Yeah, the Ouroboros. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it... it like obviously you see here because that, that's one thing that I specifically watched for the second time watching it through because you notice it on her, on her arm in the very beginning whenever it's post everything and she's being interrogated. Um, mm-hmm. But then when it swaps to the beginning of her story, no tattoo. But then after she goes into the shimmer, uh, it's the scene where she's having the conversation with the uh, geomorphologist uh, about uh, everybody's past and stuff like that. Uh, you remember she 
kind of like goes flinches a little bit and she's like, ah, and she looks in her arm and she's like, oh, it's a bruise. It's a bruised wrist. Yeah. And then that bruise turns into the tattoo over the course of the, of time. Um, I don't know if you caught that. No, I didn't. That's why I, because I know that people talk about that tattoo and there's one scene apparently where she's being interrogated. You see the tattoo move. Oh, I didn't, so, I didn't catch yeah. that. And I haven't caught that either. And I've seen it twice, but I've only seen it twice. But like, yeah, the, the tattoo apparently starts to move when she's being interrogated. Um, mm. And apparently that's a clue. Um, I was going to ask if you'd noticed that. I didn't, um, but no, I I did notice it popping up on other characters though. Like uh, her husband had it. Uh, and then the uh, uh, the paramedic, uh, mm-hmm. the Hispanic girl, uh, she ended up developing it as well because you see her in the very beginning clearly no tattoos on her arms and that's in, right because she's bare she's bare all, at the beginning. she's always bare yeah, arm tank, tank top uh-huh. yeah. uh even in, once she's inside the shimmer when they first wake up still nothing uh but then that final scene where she uh right before she gets killed it's very blatant that she's got the tattoo it's right there uh yeah. but neither the psychologist nor um the other girl end up with it so that that's one thing that I was just like, what the heck is up with this tattoo? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and the movie basically ends that. Um, so it's super, super different from the book. Super different. Um, the only other thing of note I think that's slightly different, obviously not slightly, but I mentioned it earlier on, is that the movie indicates that Portman was having an affair with one of her co-workers. Um, who is also like a married man with a wife. And we know that this is in a flashback scene. So we know that she's currently with Oscar Isaac when this is happening. He's obviously on a tour of duty somewhere in like, I don't think it really pinpoints the time, but it does indicate that she was unfaithful once, but then she called not at least more than once, uh, but you only get to see it once, but then she does call it off at the end of the, they basically hook up. And then afterwards she's like, I can't do this anymore. The guy's like, hey, you know, we have this really good connection. She's like, no, we're not. Let's say I'm done. Don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. That, it's only it's only hinted at. Yeah, that uh, I, I did pick up on that. Um, so that had to have happened before um, before this whole thing where he left to go to the Shimmer. Uh, because and I, I think, think that's why he went. That's and, she that's says that she thinks say. he knows. Yeah. Yeah. He, he found out about the affair which is explains why his departure was so stiff and cold. Cause like, you know, he wouldn't even, he wouldn't kiss her. She, you know, she tries to like, you know, be all lovey on him. You know, she kisses his hand, tries to pull him in closer and he just kind of turns away, walks off. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was, I think her point of recognizing that, Oh, he, he does know. <laughs> he, he found out yeah yeah but and and that's nice though because it gives us a little bit of motive like character motivation for him because i i i was going to open the podcast and i and i so i'll close the podcast with this and rather than open the podcast with this now that we've talked about everything and the differences between the two um and we really kind of pulled them apart it did cross my mind the whole time this was happening i was like why on earth would you volunteer to go into this why on earth, in either the book or the movie, like why on earth would you volunteer to do it? In the book, why would you do it? Because you know that people are coming out sick and you know that people die when they come out. In the movie, people just don't even come out. 
Right. Like, and now we know it's not a conscription. So I'm sure some of those people were conscripted in the earlier visits, but like the, um, when we're introduced to the characters in the movie, um, before she actually heads into the Shimen, we're introduced to the, the physicist. We're introduced to the geomorphologist. Um, and now, we understand that psychologist, she has terminal cancer, so she's kind of like, fuck it. The other, the other characters, we know that the geomorphologist, she lost her kid. But at the same time, I'm like, what would it take, Jason, for you to go in? I couldn't tell you. Like, honestly, other than just curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Curiosity would have to be insanely through the roof for me to even contemplate it because otherwise Mm -hmm. I would like, why, why would you do that? It's, it's like, as she alluded to practically like committing suicide. Yeah. It's, it's wild because, um, and I think the, the, the movie does a great job of giving characters motivation and you, you, so you can understand why they would do it you know what i mean like you can't understand why they would do it um and it does a good job of it but still it's so crazy that you would do that um just in general it's like i don't know it's wild and i think because of that it's one of those i put the movie in that category of movies that i really love which is when you're watching it the whole time you're like what would i do what would i do right like would i do this and i love movies like that because it's one of those kind of movies it's kind of like the first time i saw skip from new york when i was a kid and uh snake plissken gets sent in and i know he gets forced to go into new york um once it becomes like this crazy futuristic penal colony but like when you're a kid when i watched that movie the whole time i'm watching i was like oh my god what would i do what would i do if i was stuck in that place would i go and run and hide here like there's all you know what i mean Annihilation fits in that category where I'm like, holy shit, if I was in that, like, what would I do? You know, I love that. Yeah, I would leave. That's what I would do. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose so. If you were like, if you dedicated your life to the study of certain things in like you wanted answers, if you were like a a scientist in like, that was literally what fueled you is to try and get answers. Yeah. I could see the allure going in. I I could see that because that would be like your potential pièce de résistance of your entire career. Yeah, so. right. Yeah. And the the movie has a really good again, the script is so good for the movie. Um but I think it's probably it might be his best writing even though I I like I think Devs is my favorite project of his. I think it might this might be his best writing because there's a really good um at the beginning uh scene when Benedict one character he's um is it Benedict Wong? No, I think it's somebody is is telling Portman about the uh, the shimmer, and they and they say it's either uh, it could be an extraterrestrial event, it could be an act of God, uh, like a religious event, and then they call it a third event. It's like a like so there's an extraterrestrial re- event, a religious event, or I forgot what the third option is when they're talking about what it is. And I love that setup because there would be a lot of people you could imagine like. If that happened, if this happened in America right now, how many people would probably think that this is some religious event? Probably oh, totally. a lot. Yeah, there there would be a lot of people convinced that their religion, this is a sign of it. <laughs> Whatever religion it is, they would every one of them would come out of the woodworks. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. But then again, also thinking about it, uh, if that were to actually happen the amount of volunteers to go in there, it would be a massive line. There would be oh, people would, yeah, it would be so people would many people. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, at, at that point, I can, I can understand people wanting to go in. Me, I personally would not. <laughs> I would be one of the yeah. ones saying, I'll, I'll see what happens when you come out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's uh, psychologist does have a good line when she's talking about the the rate in which that this is growing uh, started to like increase slightly in terms of like how how fast it's growing from that like initial tiny radius around the lighthouse and it's expanding and she's like at this rate we're talking about it going through cities states like um you know what I mean spreading like it that's yeah it's pretty interesting. Yeah, cool. and think about how it would because it, it, it is uh, expanding in a three hundred and sixty degree sphere. Yeah, totally. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not just you know a dome that's going across the surface. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get into that more in the second book, uh, mentioning that you can't like fly over it at some points and you can't dig under it. And so yeah, I was interested about that too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it, it's since it's expanding as a sphere. Uh, Imagine how rapidly it would expand at a certain point. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it would be like, it would just, uh, well. The last day would just be like all of China just gets swallowed in one day. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Or like a couple of dudes in Australia being like, oh, shit. Right right on the edge of Australia, standing on the side, being like, oh. And then the ship would just go, boop, take over. (laughs) (laughs) All your earth are belong to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to put a pin in it because I need to put my AC on because it's 150 degrees inside this room right now. That sounds pleasant. Um, so to wrap it up, Jason, um, overall verdict Read for it. both the book and the movie. Read it. Read it, watch it. Watch it, enjoy it because you will. Yeah, I agree. Read it, watch it, enjoy it. That should be our tagline. You know how this is a page to picture is the name of our... Um, side project we should call it that should be our rating read it watch it enjoy it there you go this one gets all three it certainly does it does okay wonderful well thanks jason it's been super fun um we'll be back soon with the next one and maybe rate maze runner and maybe something different we don't know yet yeah we'll we'll do maze runner eventually but uh we will get to it if you guys can't tell neither of us were a huge fan of of the whole story by the by the time we were done with it yeah <laughs> we will still do it though because it's not it's not the greatest to have a review where every single review is a glowing review yeah totally i mean like i am interested in in you know and like i'm also want to get to the nitty-gritty of some of these two uh it's like with say for example the first episode we did girl of dragon tatty we like the book and we like the movie mm-hmm. okay this one we like the book and we like the movie um maze runner there's parts of the movie i like and parts of the book that i like but then there's you know it's it's 50 50 on both of those things but it'd be nice to get into the realm where we're like we might really like the book and really dislike the movie you know i'm kind of looking forward to one of those we'll have to figure it out and uh like i said earlier in the podcast if uh any of you guys out there have a book and movie combination that you guys just really like and would like to see us uh give our thoughts about uh please 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 leave a voicemail let us know and we'll get back to it Yes, couldn't say it any better myself. Okay, have a wonderful evening or day or whatever you're doing after you listen to this. Thanks again for making it through. It's been a long one. Uh, on behalf of Jason and myself, uh, we really appreciate everybody tuning in. And hopefully this uh, series can continue to grow and we'll have more uh, fun episodes ahead. Okay, thanks guys. Well, friends, that's another episode in the bag. If you've enjoyed what you heard, consider doing us a kindness by rating and reviewing the show. 
This helps us to reach a larger audience and continue to grow. So spread the word to any fellow cinephiles in your circle. Don't forget, you can leave us a voicemail by following the link in the description below. We'd love to get your feedback, recommendations, and hopefully build our own community. This is a labor of love, so let's create something special. This is Movies Last Night, and we'll be back again soon with another great episode.